that's the inner game of like you prove your mental health and your mindset based on behaviors, not the other way around. Don't use your mindset to prove what you can do. Use what you can do to let your mindset naturally prove itself. Welcome to On Your Terms with Aaron King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Aaron. When someone asks you if you're stressed out, doesn't it sometimes feel like a little bit of a trick question? Today's episode is all about the science, the neuroscience behind why we're stressed, how our brain processes it, and most importantly, how we can do a better job of recognizing it, managing it, and changing our habits to live happier, more joyful, stress-free lives. Dr. Chris Lee is a neuroscientist who specializes in stress management, self-worth, and science-based growth. He is an absolute spitfire. Our conversation had me leaning forward and rethinking all kinds of situations, personally and professionally. I mean, he has attended medical training in neuroscience from Duke, Peking University, and he studied neuropsychology at Stanford. He is a smart cookie and his stress detox course, I just started taking it, it is unbelievable. Today's conversation is going to be exactly what you need if you have been feeling a little too stressed out by life lately. Enjoy this episode. How did you become a neuroscientist? Like, tell us your backstory. There, I, I read on your website, there was a Waffle House involved. There was a moment of truth. Like, I want to hear your story and then we'll go into the goods. Yeah, a hundred percent. So like I, this, like this life of like the podcasting and all the things and stuff, like I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. And that's like the first thing I tell people whenever I like go talk on stage is like, I've had the blessed opportunity to go talk to a stadium full of 30,000 people. And I'm like, I am going to throw up if I like, don't do this right. So like, if you're in the splash zone, like I'm not supposed to be here. Like I'm not a trained speaker at all. I'm terrified of speaking, which is getting better and better. But if you wind back the clock about six and a half years now, I was getting my doctorate uh, in chiropractic. So it all started in chiropractic school. And inside of that, I had a string of unfortunate events that was me getting hit by a car losing my dad to suicide and then becoming a single father at 23 that all happened within six months. So like, wow, I had life happen so hard and like I was already $170,000 in debt from school. So like I had all of these like heavy, heavy stressors stack on top of me, like lost my physical health, could hardly walk at all. Mm. Like lost my best friend out of nowhere. Like no letter, no goodbye. Like I was supposed to go to his house down the road for like a barbecue, like a couple days later. And like, suddenly he was gone. Uh, and then suddenly like, I have this little baby girl that I got to like figure out how to take care of when I'm like painfully suffering in my own head and heart. Oh my! So all of these things like stacked one on top of another of like, okay, like what do I do? And everybody's like, yeah, I got to go to therapy. Got to get those things out. And therapy is the right tool for a bunch of people. My mom's been a therapist for so many years, but it was the wrong time for me. I just needed something that was going to like, I needed guaranteed progress. And that's where I started to lean really heavy onto like the science of like progress. Cause I went into like, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, but at that point I had already redirected my focus from like general chiropractic into like functional neurology, which was essentially looking for pathology based on physical trauma. So like hockey players and things like that, that have like these avascular areas where they had a concussion and now the brain's trying to like reboot. How do we reboot that through behavior and action? So I redirected my focus already into functional neurology, but 
all the while start to ask, like, how do these things start to play into mental health? Because in my residency and in like the clinic that I had directed myself towards, I could see these people starting to get a lot of these like motor functions back after stroke or after concussions, but they also just genuinely became like happier, healthier people. And here I am over here, miserable as fuck, like wondering, like, what's the correlation between like the brain, the mind, mental health, performance, perfectionism, like what is that thing? And wow. eventually we kind of solidified on the mind is the acorn, right? Which has the potential to grow into a tree, right? The giant oak tree that we all talk about, but the environment is what limits the expression of that acorn. So if I throw that acorn on the blacktop, it's not that the acorn is being hindered, right? It's the environment that is stopping mm. its growth. Mm-hmm. And that environment for our mind is the brain. And where we want to get a better and healthier environment is something that we would call self-regulation. So self-regulation is the capacity of our nervous system to take something that is a threat or a high stimulus and bring it from threat level, fight, flight, fight, all the way back down into, oh, I can manage this and put it into compartments and I can heal this and I can do different things with it into a practical level. And in terms of like what areas of the brain we want to turn on and off, we want the frontal cortex turned on. We want like, you know, the lateral hemispheres to be turned back on so we can have creativity. We want the amygdala turned down. Like these are all general terms and things like that. But once I started to have that click into my head, I said, okay, let me dive into like neuropsychology. So I started to take additional classes outside of my doctorate. And after I graduated, I never practiced chiropractic because I went straight to a post-grad in neuropsychology and medical neuroscience. And I got to work with Duke and I started to work with Harvard and get additional trainings and like how these correlations actually played out inside of the brain. And that was essentially how I went down the field of neuroscience to better understand the interaction of those two things. And then I started to quickly realize as the pandemic hit, like, there was going to be like bad times for all of us since like the hit of trauma and the manifestation of mental health challenges is about Mm -hmm. 18 months. So all of like the scientists, all of like the therapists, we saw this hit happen of like global trauma. And then like, we've all been like, kind of like sitting back here, like waiting for what's happening right now, which is a massive spike in suicide, a massive spike in anxiety, a massive spike in spousal abuse and domestic violence and all of these things that are going up, which are now being reported more so in 2022 and more so probably in 2023 on top of additional socioeconomic factors like a recession starting to play into all of these things. And while it's so easy to point the finger and say, this is why people are stressed and these are the problems that are actually going on, Somebody needs to do the nitty gritty and get boots on the ground and teach people, here are some practical how-to action steps for stress management. So when we experience trauma, so we have the moment that, and I pray that there are people listening to this that have never had that moment. I am not one of those. You are not one of those. Most people are not one of those. But the fact that you said once trauma hits, there's 18 months for us to realize the mental health effects. That just... I honestly didn't hear anything you said after that because it just stopped in my oh, tracks. Yeah, and I was like, wow, that makes so, that explains yeah. so much of the delayed response, the delayed reaction, the shock has worn off. You know, I'm assuming, is that why almost like the memories start to come back or like where you almost like forget? Exactly. Certain, like to tell us more about that. I mean, that's just for me personally, I, you know, I went through a terrible trauma during the pandemic that was like awful. And so like 
it was a trauma, grief and loss all at once, like graphic, like awful. And I did, I literally couldn't remember it for like almost a year. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And then all of a sudden, like a year and a half later, where everyone thinks, oh, well, it's been a year, it's been four seasons, time heals all. But in fact, I was spiraling out worse a year and a half than even right after it happened. So tell us more about that. I mean, that is really interesting. Yeah. So like, this was a massive thing in my own life where once you have, and this is not just for like, so there's two types of traumas. And like, I know I'm going to overgeneralize this for like my psychologist, and my therapist, like just chill with me for a second. Okay. There's big T trauma, right? So like a big T trauma that I experienced happens to like somewhere between like 30 and 50% of us, right? Where we have something like really extraordinary happen that yeah. like, you'll never be the same from right. my big T trauma was like that series of events that happened in like 2017, where lost my dad to suicide, mm. never going to be the same after that so single sorry. dad at 23 broke AF scared, terrified, oh. tiny human, uh, can't keep a cactus alive, but like Oh my just, God. All right. I'm so sorry about your dad. Me too. Uh, it was the, and I am so grateful now uh, because it was the catalyst that brought me to where I am today. Yeah. But yeah, it, it sucked and it still sucks mm. a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, and just for like, to make this real, like the grieving process never goes away in case anybody's like, Oh, it gets like better. It, it's better. And it gets different. But like my dad always wore like a, like old cheap stick of like old spice deodorant. And I passed a guy at Target the other day that was wearing that. Oh. And I'm like sitting in like the aisles, just oh. like having a breakdown. Oh, There's like, I just smell. miss my dad. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. And, I'm yeah. so sorry. Little neuroscience mm. fact for everybody else. Like all of your other senses get processed in a brain area called the thalamus. But if you're wondering why smells trigger memory so fast, it's because it doesn't have a barrier to entry. It goes straight to the hippocampus which is where memories are solidified. Oh, so it's processed wow. in the same area. So that's why smells are such a potent trigger. Fun yeah, fact of the day. However, oh. back to trauma, because that's such a fun topic yeah. for all of well, us to jam but, No, but the big T trauma where you were mm -hmm. one person before and you are like your whole yes. life is before and after that moment. Like that's how I would define my big T yes. trauma. Like, okay, so then what- For sure. Keep going, yeah. But then there's the rest of us. And you know, the statistic is like 80% of us experience small T trauma. Right. And small T trauma is the level of stimulus that you can take. And eventually that stimulus line gets hit. And once that stimulus line gets hit for how much you can tolerate in that day, you reach the threshold and anything above that becomes stress. Mm. Classic example of this is like, oh, I can handle a ton of conversations. Right. But by 5 p.m. in the afternoon, I can't handle anymore. And now I'm frustrated. And now I start to have fights with my partner. And now I start to do this. And now I start to do that. You've yeah. reached your threshold of what you can tolerate in that day. Yeah. If you do that for an extended period of time, two to three weeks, right, is like the minimum threshold, that small T trauma starts to change and manipulate the way that you have interactions in your own mind, in your own life, in how you live, in how you like constantly go. And that's 80% of us. Mm. And like the other crazy statistic that gets tied in with this is that any one time we have this attentional network in our brain called wandering attention. Wandering attention is like the 150 like unclosed tabs on your computer. That's what your brain has running. So you have 150 undone tasks that your brain is constantly trying to like ponder completion upon. And that's where like overthinking and rumination comes in. It's called wandering attention. Mm -hmm. So the more space that we have and the less tools that we have, the louder that wandering attention becomes. So we create more overthinking. The more mm. trauma that we have that supersedes that line of stimulus and then becomes stress, 
the easier and more slippery overthinking becomes. And eventually overthinking can and does become a characteristic. It becomes a behavior as an unhealthy coping mechanism, which we all experience. And then that's when the numbing kicks in. People start to lean towards the drugs, the alcohol, exactly. the shopping, whatever, just to 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 bring down that that high vibe that you just can't sustain. I mean, it's it's it makes yeah. so much sense. So you went through this incredible period. You started studying it. When you started to study neuroscience, was that sort of were you self-therapizing yourself as you were learning? And it was kind of a twofer. Is that kind of how oh, the whole thing played out? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I got to throw my brother, my brother under the bus here. So like my brother, like finished school and did post-grad in addictionology. Okay. Uh, and I went and did like post-grad in like neuroscience. And like he and I will both admit quietly in a room and obviously on massive podcasts like this, doing it for him, that like we were just trying to get answers for like why yeah. our dad did that. Yeah. Right. Cause like yeah. my brother and I were roommates. Like he's my best friend. Like he and I still play video games at night. We're those type of brothers. And he lives on the other side of like the States. Right. But we were both just trying to get answers of like, why, like what the heck actually happened? Yeah. So yes, a hundred percent. And I recently saw a post out there that was like painfully like accurate for like my own life too. And it was like, men would rather become life coaches than go to therapy. Right. And then like, for me, it was wow. like, Oh God. Yeah. Cause I, I became yeah, yeah. on accident, a uh, corporate HR trainer and consultant during that period of time, which is another crazy story of how I actually got into that. But at a period of time, I started to recognize that I didn't have the right community that would actually facilitate my healing anymore. I had a community that was built on corporate assholes and like finance bros and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Cause that was what I was surrounded with. And they're just unhealthy people, like mm -hmm. not all of them, but like a huge majority of them. Yeah. So again, like I was being limited at like my genuine expression by my social environment. And it was at that point that I knew it was the right time for me to dive back into therapy, back into like healing some of these inner wounds. And yeah. surprisingly enough, that was 18 months after some of these macro traumas really started to settle in. Mm. Well, I just commend you for sitting there at that intersection and seeing that there were two roads. You were going to be the victim and this was going to be your sad story forever and ever and your new identity. Amen. Or you were going to find a way to be the victor and, and, and learn about it and take control and channel this awful pain that, again, I'm so sorry that you had to walk through. And to your point, that was your superpower that you can now use to help people, to heal people, to have this 2 million person impact. And I mean, the topic of stress, whether whether your stress is compounded over time from grief, trauma, loss, or if someone's listening to this, maybe they haven't gone through, you know, you know, my trauma was, you know, we had our little fur baby during the pandemic and I don't have human children. So it was my first experience being a mother and she's only eight months old. She was hit and killed in front of me by a car and like died in my arms. And it was like very traumatic. And we were like, it was during the pandemic. So we were best friends and it was this awful, awful, awful experience. And it's something where people listening to this podcast, maybe they haven't like lost their dad, lost their fiance, lost their fur baby, like all these things. Maybe for you, like you said, it is that compounded little T for years and years that over time can be just as draining. And so yeah. my question is, you know, in a post pandemic world, in an Instagram world, is stress just the way it is now? Like, do we have to just like, do we have to just just learn to raise our stress tolerance or what is, how do we decide what the path looks like for us? 
Do you, you ask that by the way, in like a very brilliant way, like, can we just raise our stress tolerance? And I want everyone to remember that like, we have a certain level of stimulus that we can tolerate every day. And above that threshold, things become stressful, right? So like you can run a certain amount of miles every day. And if you go beyond that, your capacity to rest and recover the next day is way, way lower. Right. So if you can like only run like three miles, but you try to run 10, right. Your capacity to repeat that tomorrow and run three miles tomorrow is way limited by all the stress that you impacted on your life today. Same thing happens with sleep. And then it moves into like the mental world, right? So if you do heavy cognitive lifting, right, which is decision-making, which is using willpower, which is using focus, which is hardcore studying, right. Holding space for people, The next day, if you don't have integration systems in place to take the sting out of that stress, your capacity to deal with more of that tomorrow is way lower. So if it was an Mm. eight today, tomorrow, it's going to be a four. And then Mm. if you don't integrate on that, it's going to be a two. And then you're going to be stuck at a one. And then you have such easy triggers to get activated into that fight, flight, freeze response, which turns off the frontal cortex and turns on these psychosomatic reflexes that feels to our body like we're being chased by a bear, but really somebody cut us off in traffic, right? Right. Like some of the things that are completely out of our control that we can use different like thinking models of like, how do I let go and surrender those mental models to like think your way through is not available to somebody that is stressed out. Mm-hmm. And that's how these things like really start to build up beyond a threshold that we can actually tolerate. So mm-hmm. the way that I start to describe this to people is there's basically four categories. There's a bonus fifth category, which you and I should talk about because I don't okay. talk about it enough, but there's physical, right? Which is sleep, okay. diet, exercise. Yep. This is foundation, right? Because everybody is like, oh yeah, you know, I exercise, but like we need metrics. We need like how to's on those things. Like what are the standards that you hold yourself up to above that is mental. And this is how you build certainty schedules. And this is how you think and create decisions in your life above that is emotional. And this is emotional intelligence. This is how you hold space. This is your capacity to feel safe in your own body and heal those traumas. And then above that goes to social. This is communication, community, and relationships. And then above all of those, but like truly, depending on who this person is, surrounding all of those things is your capacity to do spiritual work. So like that's the fifth bucket that I don't talk enough about because I'm so scientific all the time, but like is so genuinely important because if you talk to anybody that has had spontaneous remission, or if you talk to anybody that has like made that breakthrough when they had no business making that breakthrough, there was something that was like being a guiding force for them in their life during that period of time. And for whatever that is, it's faith, spirituality, but it is critical uh, to have something like that in your life too. Yeah. Do you think that we are at an absolutely, is there another word for unprecedented? Can we think of another word for never before seen level of stress in the perfect storm of 2023? Or do you think that every generation feels like this? I mean, we had this perfect storm of like digital post-pandemic. I mean, because every generation is like, oh, kids these days, things are so hard. I mean, do you really feel like we're at this unbelievable, at at a human collective level of like, we're just going to combust? Like, <laughs> right now. Yeah. So like 
if, if you start to look into like Ray Kurzweil talks about this brilliantly in a book called The Singularity, which is essentially like the merger of humanity, technology, and like automations. We were supposed to hit like the singularity in like 2050. And like, we're supposed to hit it at like 2025, like two years from now, we're supposed to get to that point where like AI is like sovereign in some ways, right? Which is a whole philosophical conversation. But if you really start to look at the socioeconomic impact, we have what this is like, realistically comparative to is like the bubonic plague, right? But we just have the technology to do that. But we also have the capacity to talk about it way more than anybody else has ever had on the face of this planet, mm-hmm. right? The problem with that is, is misinformation, right? So like, if you think about when you go in the woods, like, are you naturally focused on like the flowers? Probably for a period of time. But if you're like, turning a corner on a mountain and suddenly there's a snake there, you are hyper vigilant of every single stick on the ground for the rest of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Or if something goes snap in a bush, you're now hyper vigilant and hyper focused on that. Mm-hmm. So when we get into times of uncertainty, our brain doesn't naturally look for what's going right. It looks for threat detection. Mm-hmm. So like if it bleeds, it leads, like your brain has a natural affinity to focus on those things. And now more than ever, like those different platforms of information spreading, those are what different systems and people are using in order to like manipulate in some ways or to like yeah. get more follows or whatever it may be. So we have, according to science, according to all of these different platforms, like we have two different things. We have the ability to like look at these things way differently. And then we can actually ask, is this true? Right. And the ask if this true, we can actually look at meta analysis that happened over a hundred year period of time. And now we can say, oh no, like this is actually true. Have we ever experienced this level of global stress together? No, we haven't. Mm. Mostly Mm. because we've never had the ability to like share ideas the way that we have or Mm. have the ability to like fact check things or like compare or to do all of those different things all at one time. On top of the thing that creates safety. So the thing that creates safety in our modern world is money. And Mm -hmm. we are now like in this weird socioeconomic turn in the States, we're like in a like economic statistical recession, Mm -hmm. right? That is like matching somewhere between like 1991 and like 2008 kind of mixed together. And this isn't like a, oh, like that sounds like, you know, everybody's talking about it. Like statistically, economically, we are inside of this and it's something that you can't like, it's not a discussion. It just is. Sure. On top of coming out of a pandemic, mm-hmm. they all play together. So it's the perfect storm, which makes it much more challenging for us to be humans that are not stressed out all the time. Job security for you. Yay. But on the other token, <laughs> so you went, no, but, but it's interesting because I had a conversation with one of my other podcast guests this morning, and we were talking about this idea that in our parents' generation, in our grandparents' generation, they seem to have had, you know, quote unquote, like harder lives. You know, like my parents were Irish immigrants that came over with nothing, you know, and then, you know, my parents scrapped together and, you know, they didn't have this, they didn't have that. And now these days, you know, my mom is always like, you're getting a facial, you're going to get a massage. Like it's so luxurious. And we talk about self-care and mental health and you know, our generation has so, there's this whole uprising of industries around managing just the reality of being human because of all the things that you just outlined, right? And so, yeah. Yeah. And so, so my question is, if we are someone who is a self-starter, autonomous, we're an entrepreneurial spirit, we are a, you know, I am just going to, attitudes everything, I'm going to chase this down and fix it. What do you think is one way 
that we is, is the number one thing just our relationship with our devices like is like would that solve 70 percent of this or do you think it's more complex than that uh so if i had to pick one thing that would like allow that person that had the entrepreneurial spirit to go do the thing uh it would be willpower discipline and focus which they that's okay. one category willpower discipline and focus so you have to okay. look at the things that steal most of your focus all day long which mm-hmm. a thousand percent is your phone so mm-hmm. the way that focus and willpower play in together is they are the same thing so the amount of willpower which is doing the hard thing when the easy thing is available like after this after you and i are done i'm going to go to the gym and i go to the gym and it's like core and cardio day i hate the gym i don't want to go there at all but like if i don't then like i won't be as resilient tomorrow so i want to plant that seed for resilience tomorrow which requires me to use willpower in order to do that if i don't have enough acetylcholine because i've been on my phone for eight hours or i've been making poor choices literally making bad ideas like poor choices of like passing by the donut and i don't have like mental rules in the workplace for the donuts right so if you and your mind haven't like gone to the workplace and seen the plate of donuts and experienced this like play along with this game for me you go into work and in the break room there's a pile of donuts they're beautiful they're sprinkled they're glistening in like the lights Every time you pass by, you're like, no, no, no. Like, I, I'm not going to go do that. Oh, no, I'm not going to go do that. No, like, I won't do that. And then like 12 noon hits and you're like, ah, just like, let me, like, is that one, is that one like cream filled? Like, and you like start to gain a little bit more curiosity because you have lost the potency of all your willpower because you haven't protected your decision-making capacity versus the person that has meal prepped that day and knows what time and what they are eating, the donuts don't even exist to them because it doesn't even fall within like the schedule or like the realm of reality for them. And that person is going to have the discipline to say, nope, I eat at nine, I eat at 12 and I eat at three. I go to the gym at five after work, like, and nothing else really exists inside of that. So you can use thinking to protect the thing that makes money for all of us right now, which is creativity. Yeah. So like kind of the way that you described like, oh, our parents said it was so much harder, physically harder for them. Not going to deny that whatsoever. But if you look at like, I am second generation. If I ask like my grandpa, how much money did it cost to like buy a house when you were like, you know, getting out of high school? Because people were buying houses in high school when he was like in school. He's like, ah, 17, $20,000. I'm like, that is a like down payment on a cheap house right now. Right. And like on the a car. way that like minimum wage <laughs> on a car, yeah. Yeah, like my car is like double what a house would have been during that period of time. Yeah. So like the translation of like effort to reward is so much different for us. Like yeah. it's, it's not even comparable anymore. So like to look at some of those factors, it makes a huge difference as well. And then also like the way that people got paid and what they got paid all plays into these different factors, like minimum mm-hmm. wage. When my grandpa was working, he worked at a gas station, bought a house, had three cars, had a boat. If I tried to go work minimum wage right now, I would have to move out of my house. Like I, yeah. I would have to get an apartment and I still wouldn't cut it on 40 hours minimum wage. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like the game is no longer like survival. It's like who can make the most creative passive income? Those are the people that are thinking far enough ahead to like look at, okay, what are we gonna gonna become automations in the future? And like people that are handling like the humanness of us, like mm-hmm. have job security for forever because you can't compute some of those things away. Totally. I mean, we've been talking a lot about chat GPT in our office and just 
we are content creators, yeah. we are writers, we are personalities. And it's interesting yeah. because everyone started panicking about, you know, the AI chatbots. And it's like, you know, I've read their content. It's not, I mean, you'll never be able to never say never, but doubling down our humanity is 100% going to be the differentiator. And the ones who can do it with yeah. the most authenticity are, will win, in my opinion. For but sure. getting back to sort of to sort of your your commentary around like our stress levels versus other generations. So my question is this, you know, we've heard that a certain amount of stress can be good for us. Like if you want something done right, give it to a busy person because they're already doing 19 things anyway. So if you give them a 20th, they're like done. Someone that is just like, yeah. you know, no offense to you and your bro, but like playing video games all day versus like to wind down at yeah. night, right? <laughs> like, like the gamers that are in their basement for, you know, 12 hours, you try to give them one thing and it's like, you know, an act of Congress to get them to just even, you know, leave the house. So there are levels of stress that can be motivators. They can be creativity unlockers. I love a good, I mean, I know that we're both keynote speakers. I don't know about you, but like I just submitted a deck for a talk that I'm giving in March. And that made me so anxious because we know the night before the talk, I'm going to be at the cocktail yeah. party and hear that one key insight from someone that is going to unlock the actual story I should be telling. And then I'm going to have to try and finish the deck last minute. They're going to be pissed off. But it's like everyone knows the best ideas happen at the last minute. It's like the procrastinator's nightmare, but creativity unlocks when we have that stress. So 100%. what is a healthy level of stress? How do we know if we are at a healthy, high performance achieving level of stress? And how do we know when it's crossed over into an area where we're like, gosh, I need to sort of rethink my focus, my willpower, my planning? Beautiful question, by the way. So there is a level of stress that we would call allotropic stress. And allotropic stress is a healthy stress. So like when I go to the gym, that is an allotropic stress right? So I'm placing intentional stress to build more resilience in a way that I know my body can manage, okay. right? So like, I am not a swimmer, but if I like tried to go swim like three miles, it's too much stress because it's too much novelty. It's too much newness. It's new motion. It's breathing patterns. Like I, I wouldn't be able to do it, right? My capacity to handle that is super, super low. Okay. So back to your question, like what is the healthy way to like intentionally create allotropic stress in your life that actually creates performance? And how do you know what's too much and not enough? Yeah. For me, I don't trust my intuition. Because like my intuition, like if I talk to it, it's like, yo, you know what you need? You need pizza and ice cream. You've been working so hard. <laughs> like you need that extra hour of sleep. Oh my God. Like, I think our that, intuitions are friends. They sound like the same person. Keep they going. Do, yeah. <laughs> best friends. Yeah, for sure. So like, and this is not true for everyone. The way that you have those communications with that internal dialogue, it, it's not standard across the board. But what I do trust are data and statistics, which is why I use an aura ring and an Apple watch. So I use both of those to look at better metrics for measuring how much stress is too much stress. Yeah. And then I match that with my content output. So I can measure and I can literally tell you when it's going to be really hard for me to write articles versus when it's going to be really easy based on how good my sleep was, how well I recovered, my resting heart rate, my HRV index. Like I have yeah. days customized throughout my week where I know I'm going to sit down for two hours and write down 2000 words of a book or an article, or I will stack a keynote presentation. Like pretty much every single day I sit down and I set a Pomodoro timer for 25 minutes. And the game for me is if I get all of my content done in 25 minutes, I get a piece of candy because I'm a child. 
right? So like I have a literal dark bar chocolate there. And if I get all my content done in 25 minutes, I am like Pavlov's dog, ring the bell. I was going to say, you're, you're Pavlonian. Quick pause, because you have all these gems yeah. that like, you're so brilliant. I mean, I, I, I feel like every statement you say, that could be a whole podcast episode. So just pause for backing it up. HRV, let's talk about that for a second, because I yeah. use the Whoop watch for the exact same purpose of like strain recovery. And I did not realize that heart rate variation was such a strong indicator of fitness, of recovery, of, I mean, guys, if you're not tracking your yeah. heart rate variability, it is like the jam. And it's crazy when you start to see how it fluctuates based on your choices to your point, your willpower, your focus, your intentional habits around managing your stress. I mean, if I, I did dry January-ish, damn January, and I had a couple like nights, maybe two or three nights where it was my friends and I looked at my heart rate variability and it went, it tanked. It went down to like 40 where I'd been pacing at like 70. So it's interesting to say like, we have all the metrics and data available to us. And we talk so much trash about technology and so much trash about social media. And it's terrible for our mental health. It's terrible for our stress. And it's the devil and all this stuff. But the same token, the flip side, it is neither good nor evil. Because if you think about this, your first thing you said was like, hey, by the way, you can literally, you can out data your intuition. You can, you can use numbers to yeah. sell yourself out of your excuses. And that's a beautiful upside of technology that I don't think we talk about in that way. Yeah. So like that little black box in your hand is a tool and a weapon. I can yes. kill somebody with a hammer or I can build a house with it. It's based yeah. on the intention and use of it. So like I work as an executive coach most of the time and I work as a business consultant to build better business strategies that are focused on people over profit. Because every time you care about the people in the business, the profit goes up exponentially. And I'm extremely yeah. good at what I do, but I never directly work on business strategy without working on people's stress management. And consistently, I've never gone into a company. I've never worked with an executive or a coach or an entrepreneur that has been killing everything and has good sleep, good rest. So when I tell them to go take a vacation and then come back after four days and they're like, I can make so much more content or like I had so many ideas for my book after taking these periods of time off. Yeah. And then they send me their data of like, I got 10 hours of sleep for like four days in a row. Like I feel like such a lazy piece of shit. And I'm like, well, that's a story that we're telling ourselves, but like the three hours of sleep that you've been getting for the past six months during this launch period, that's what's been crippling your capacity to create. Right. So when we start to build up and better understand these indices, like it gives us such a better capacity to take more accurate action. And the same way that you talk about using HRV, HRV is, by the way, for anybody that has no idea what that is, we used to think that the heart beats really consistent. Boom, 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 boom. But every second, your nervous system is interpreting your environment and creating different blood pressures and fluctuations based on the input that it's receiving and the output that you're giving. And that's what the variation between your heartbeat is. So like I'm having a talk right now and I'm like very stimulated. So my heartbeat's probably bum, 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 bum. So whenever I talk, I have to increase my blood pressure so that I don't pass out, right? So my blood is constantly going up and down. My pulse has a rhythm to it, but it's inconsistent. So the more consistency you have, the more resilient your nervous system essentially is. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're starting to look for. So when your score yeah. starts to go up towards 70, towards 80, you have a high amount of resilience that day, which mm -hmm. are the days that you want to hurt yourself, like hurt yourself. Like yeah. you want to put in a ton of effort on those days. So like when my HRV goes up and I like make sure that I dedicate eight to nine hours of sleep on the days that I'm going to rip content. Today's Thursday. On Tuesday, on Tuesday, I made... 
seven, seven posts. I made a week's worth of posts, which was 2000 words total on Instagram, scheduled it, blocked it. I made 14 reels. I made a 10 minute YouTube video, two podcasts, walked with two clients and like still made it to the gym. And I meal prepped for the next seven days in one day. Right. That's incredible. So like I get asked a lot, how do you, how'd you do that? All the while making sure that my daughter knows that I am unequivocally present with her. Mm-hmm. Right. And my capacity to do that and do it effectively, it took me three hours to do all of that. Right. Like I did all of that in a three hour block because I knew how much stress I could tolerate during that day. Yeah. And then I just kept yeah. going at it. And then the next day I recovered. Mm-hmm. So you can use these different things to pull away from the excuses because the more that you can push beyond your threshold, what you think you can do, that's that stretch zone where you're actually going to get better. So the next time I have a day where I have to like, where I get the opportunity to make a shit ton of content, my yeah. system is going to say, oh, well, we already did this before. This is easy, right? Yeah. That's the inner game of like, you prove your mental health and your mindset based on behaviors, not the other way around. Don't use your mindset to prove what you can do, use what you can do to let your mindset naturally prove itself. Mm. That's a beautiful inversion of that. That's wonderful. I love that. That feels really good because that's the ultimate working smarter, not harder. It's 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 looking at, have you recovered? Are you, because there are days like today, I mean, I told you, you gave me a 10 minute break before we even started. Con- I'm like, dude, you're my sixth back-to-back like intensive conversation. Oh, wow. I took seven minutes of the 10, but it was just a little minute, lit my candle, did a little like breathing exercise, got a little sparkling water, did a little reset, jumped back in. But also to your point, I slept nine hours last night. You know, I, I did my, like my super mellow workout, not my like crushing it. Like I prepared my body because I knew I had a big day. And then tomorrow yes. is a travel day. I'm going to Dallas. I'm going to be on a plane just sitting there rehearsing. So I'm like, so it's, it's interesting. You can be strategic. And I think what's beautiful about this conversation for those of you who are listening and you're like, well, good for you that you're a contenting guru in three hours and good for you that you got nine hours of sleep and good for you. Here's the thing. I think our big takeaway is like, you know, if you are experiencing stress and you do feel like you're drowning and you do feel like you're overwhelmed and you just can't, you can, you just need to take a deep breath, do a reset and listen to some of this advice. Like, are you prioritizing when you're working? You know, are you being hyper-focused? Do you have those routines, whether it's the meal prep to avoid the donut danger? Or, you know, are you defining, are you DTRing your relationship with your device in a way that can allow you the capacity to show up as your most productive self without losing that critical sense of well-being? Yeah. Like, so when I say that I had that like day of just like crushing it, so to say like, oh, like that's like such a grind day. I can have that day. And I give myself that day because like the last three days, like I took my daughter paddle boarding and like, we went and got our hair done and we did our nails. And like, we did all of those things because I constantly am thinking with the end in mind. If I maintain the track and course of what I do, my business will scale. But you know what I can't scale is the memories that I never created with her. Those are the things that are gone forever. I will never get my daughter again when she's five, when life is still magical, when like daddy is still her hero, when she could go see things and watch the sunrise. I don't get that time back. So on the days that she has like a full day at school, 
I am absolutely going to bust can so that the next three days, like my life is on automation. I can still support and live in my purpose and support the people with the questions, comments, and concerns that they have all while working one to two hours because I invested the time to sharpen the skill with the end in mind of being constantly there to support her and her needs as she grows and explores in this world. It's so beautiful. And I think it's so inspirational for anyone that has been feeling like they just can't find that balance. I mean, it's inspirational to hear someone that's that you're walking the walk, you're doing it, but you're also making the tough choices to make sure that you can do it. You're being really intentional about it. You're planning it. You're strategic. It's not just happening. It's not falling into your lap. You are no. the architect mm-hmm. of this autonomy. So I think it's really yes. beautiful. And thank you. And like, while this like seems very polished, it's because like I had so many like abrasions along the way of like, oh, that didn't work or like that. I, that really didn't work or like that was doing, I'm not going to do that again. Like yeah. I made every mistake. I tripped on every rock going up to like the top of the hill. Like I, I screwed up and then eventually got to the point where I'd had so much friction and agitation that it was eventually smooth. Like yeah. I, I am not like a like clear cut on any of this. And if anybody's ever seen my social media, it's not perfect or pretty whatsoever, but it's yeah. like, it's the constant sharpening of progression. There is the old adage of like two lumberjacks go out in the day. And at the end of the day, they have the same amount of wood cut, but one lumberjack works for 12 hours straight and only takes a 30 minute break. And the other lumberjack is gone and then seemingly goes to work for four hours. And eventually lumberjack A goes to lumberjack B and says, what do you do for the first six hours? And he says, I sharpen my ax, right? Mm. That is like the adage that I wish more people would go through is like in a period of time where you're starting something new, your only intention is to build the skill. Don't look at the results. The results come from the progression of ax sharpening, not the progression of how many trees you cut, just sharpen the ax until you're so good. People pay you for that. That's how I got to where I was like by far. So good. I mean, I think we need we need to end on that note with not a mic drop, but a tree drop from that sharpened axe analogy, because that is a great story. I really want to take your course, the stress detox, science-based self-regulation, drchrisley.com. Guys, definitely check it out. I mean, this I just hope you've gotten as much value as I have out of this time. I love your I love your approach. I love your uh, relatability. I love how you are kind of boiling down these big esoteric academia lace scientific moments with these moments of like humor and human nature and humanity. And I just loved, I loved this talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think everyone got a ton of value from you and you have future events coming up as well. And you want to tell us a little more about those? Yeah. So we, we run groups all the time that really goes through and builds accountability through cohorts um, that uses biometrics to better understand these four platforms of stress management. And yeah, I talk on stage all over the States and all over the world this year. So if you ever look at my social media, I'm bebopping around and I do pop-up events all the time too, wherever I travel to at little yoga studio. So if you can ever catch one of those, they're super fun too. So fun. Well, I will, we will hyperlink to all the things, but drchrisley.com at drchrisley, I think on Instagram. And definitely Everywhere. Yep. check him out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. This was a great conversation. I feel calmer already. So thank you so much. It's working. Yeah, I love it. This was amazing. Well, hopefully you're feeling a little calmer from our conversation with Dr. Chris Lee. I just loved his fire. I love the way he broke down this complex subjects and really helped us to think a little differently about how we are processing and managing our very stressful lives here in 2023. 
So check out drchrisley.com. He's on Instagram. His content is incredible. And he has a detox course, a stress detox course. I will be taking, and I encourage you to do the same. So friends, it's my hope that this time together has helped you feel a little more comfortable, confident, and lower stress when it comes to living a life that you love on your terms. Till next time, friends. 